Hello, my name's Gregory Wilker. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Live with Greg. Today is November 17th, 2019, and last night I learned that my podcast had way exceeded the resources I have to keep it alive as a video podcast. So I am actively working to move it to an audio podcast. The video is still available on my website, gregorywoker.com, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Live with Greg. Thanks for your support. For uh, episode number twenty-three, I just saw that movie, the number twenty-three, last night. Was it any good? Eh, Suck. Really? There's like probably twenty-four films I could count off the top of my head that are better. <laughs> it was okay. All right, I'm here with my brother Tim Talbot, who I've known for many, many years, yeah. through many, many personalities, through many, many life chapters. Yeah, thirty, about thirty years now. I guess. Was it? No, it hasn't. I was like 27, 28 when I met you. So now I'm 53. In my book, that's four decades. Okay. Okay. Because my mother was an Andean mountain goat. <laughs> they use, of course, the lunar calendar. So it's slightly different timing. The loony calendar. The lo- lunar. You know, your mother's an Andean mountain goat. You, Did you, you just call me a wiener? You just, you just go along with what she says. Yeah, you do. And you feed her three times a day. <laughs> you feed her and you milk her. And you milk her. Hopefully only up until about like four years old and then you drop that. Yeah, I clipped the old umbilical just last year. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, but then I finally got up the gumption to say enough. And then I off into the wild blue yonder on my little airplane. And, Yay, I'm free. And I'm way out crash into this fucking mountain. God, she's right. Fucking hate her, but... What? <laughs> you should see uh, Mike and Dave, whatever it is, need wedding dates. Yeah, it's yeah. So funny. I heard it's really funny. It is funny. <laughs> yeah, it probably isn't your niece coming yeah. to you, so, But if there's any. I went and saw, um, years ago, I saw. Did you, have you ever like, gone to like, 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 there's a film out that you've seen and you really like it? They think it's really funny, or you know, it's really like whatever, thoughtful or great or whatever it is. And you tell a friend, you know, and they're like, "Oh man, you gotta see this flick! I'll go again. I'll see it with you." And they're like, "Okay." And then you go, and it's like, it's almost impossible not to have this kind of like, it's like being set up on a blind date or something, you know. It's almost impossible not to have some kind of like an expectation or something's gonna happen or something. And like with the film, it's like, "Oh, so funny to do it." So I, I took Celia years ago to see something about Mary. You know, which is not comedic genius by any means, but it's got really over-the-top funny shit, you know. And uh, they just, you know, I mean, especially Matt Dillon kills me with that thing, you know. They, I forgot about him. With his big teeth. And he goes, yeah. hey, buddy, let me get another one. Yeah. Pay up, choppers, two bucks. <laughs> you dry teeth. Uh, fuck, he killed me, man. So, but, and that was one of those situations where I took her to see this film, and she didn't get it. It's kind of weird. Well, it seems like there's an element of, like, let's say we're in that scenario and I had seen the film, and there's an element of me waiting for you to, to get what I got. That way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which I think puts a weird yeah. energy into the whole Because she was really, like, she did not find it amusing or humorous at all. Wow. She didn't even like the music? 
<laughs> she's, not, she's not a Jonathan Richmond fan either. Jeez. That's when you're not being a Jonathan Richmond fan. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how can you kill a lobster and call it dinner? Well, you have a boiling pot of water and you... Uh, how can you pull from the heavens a little cloud of rain and put, put that in your shoe and then you... You know, like, so it's not Mary, one of my favorite parts. No, man, no. You know, that nursery song about six squirrels twirling on a fence, man. Oh, I remember that. The part that I remember is when he gets stuck in the zipper on prom night. They're like, oh, my God, if they show it, I will be over the top. They're not going to show it. They're not going to. And then they show it. Oh, my God. We got a bleeder. One, two... It's like, yeah, but how do you get a little bit over the top of the bottom? That was awesome, man. That was fucking awesome. And then Chris Elliott, who, of course, is just brilliant, one of the most pure comedic idiots to ever step on stage or in front of a camera. Because he's just no shame. He's aware of how he looks, his appearance, and... Of course, he thinks he's like second coming, like Clark Gable or something. Uh, he plays it well. <laughs> it's fucking funny, man. Yeah. Um, but it's funny because Celia, she, it turns out that she's dying of pancreatic cancer. That's not funny. No, no, there's not, not a lot of fun. The old cancer ward. <laughs> I, had a, I had a week-long stint at, uh, you know, St. Mary's, and I get, you know, I mean, I get, you know, let's face it, I killed him. You know, I mean, I... I <laughs> I went up, I did my stuff, and I killed them. No, like, literally, when I left, three people had died of the thing when I was trying to make them laugh. They laughed so hard, they forced out these, you know, these tubes and stuff. And, you know, I don't know what's going on, you know? I had to put, you know, I had to plug in the PA. I had to plug in the lights and the fog machine. Uh, the dancers, they, they got to have a cooler for their beverages, whatever, bottles and James. So, you know, I had to unplug a few things. And uh, apparently, oh, they were important, you know. They kept them alive. What? It's a machine. That ain't life. <laughs> this is life. A sign. Oh, yeah. yeah. Compassion. I'm working on it, you know. I'm working on it. Uh, I volunteer. I did a little volunteer work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> for the SS. <laughs> yes. For the organization, well, formerly known as the SS, now known as the Concerned Krauts, the KK. Ooh. Yeah. Like how you did that. We're only missing one K. That's their, that's their motto. Carrot a day keeps I the day. Whoa, easy now. Okay, good. All so, right. So, yeah, at this uh, painful juncture in my life. What profound topic should we tackle, Tim Talbot? You see all those T's are thrown in? I'm sorry, and you are? Dead. Dead on arrival. <laughs> I'm sorry, what was the first question again? No, the, Why? uh, yeah, it's actually Timothy Talbot. He's saying then you got four T's. Oh, yeah. Yeah, four T. Reversed, 24 minus one, you get 23. Again. And that was a long time ago. That movie was so stupid. It was like, look, Carrie's natural state, he's like a penguin. You know what I mean? You're not going to ask a fucking penguin to you know, tie a message in the Civil War and tell him, fly to the north, you know, like a passenger <laughs> penguin. <laughs> a carrier penguin. It ain't going to happen. It's just not in its nature. It's like Jim Carrey being serious. It's like him. He did, 
But he can do serious. I respect it. He can do. But I want to see you do crazy, stupid, fucking off the wall shit. Did you see the Sunshine Mind or whatever that one was? Yeah, I remember that. That was good. Also, the serious part, like the Truman Show, what his seriousness, I think, is what gave that movie such. He never depth. did confess his love for his friend, the handyman, played by your friend and mine, Dave Jackson. <laughs> if memory serves. Memory doesn't yeah, serve. Yeah, no. It escapes. I just smoke a lot of weed and fucking uh, like uh, tinfoil pipes, man. You know, it's nice. You remember what I was like. I got fucked up. It's been 15 years still running off the fumes. The, uh, I used to make, I, I'd make pipes all the time out of tinfoil. It's like a pencil. Mm-hmm. Now, this really kind of cool little beak pointed up at the end. It's like a cool little one hitter. Like Billy Pipe kind of, you know? You remember those? Billy Pipes were big in high school and, and red. What's a Billy Pipe? In the 70s, an opium pipe. little little one-hitter of opium pipe that you get in Chinatown. It's something like tourists and shit. Sounds like a San Francisco. And uh, Billy was little one-hitters, little one-hitter pipe. Um, so anyway, I smoked a lot of things <laughs> through tin foil, And apparently that's like not good for your brain. Yeah, I, I think like, smoking in general is not good for your brain. Just like inhaling smoke. In fact, firemen say if you're in a fire in a house, go down to the floor so you inhale less smoke. And just what? throwing that out there. <laughs> All right, so nice chandelier. I like that. Thank you. Is that one glass? That's what I'm here for. Yes, I carved it myself out of a single block of glass. It's not easy. Let me ask you this. Uh, nothing worthwhile worth doing is. As you're approaching 54, slowly. Um, Thanks, Greg. Do you retain dreams for a future? Like, as much as I retain fluids overnight? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do, actually. Sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Fuck it. I, mean, I spent so much time Celia's thing, you know, we had a falling out. She was somebody that I, you know, I consider that she saved my life twice. You know what I mean? When I was a kid, it was right after my brother had killed himself. I was like somewhere between a freshman and sophomore year, and I was just a, I mean, looking back, at the time I knew I was a mess, too, you know? But at the time, anybody that tried to help me, you know, was like, yeah, I had the same answer. You're like, Tim, you're a smart kid. You're a good kid. What the heck's going on? What, you know, what can we do? What can we do? You know what you can do? What? You go fuck yourself. You know what I mean? It was like, everybody, like across the board. In fact, if people tried to help me, I kind of resented it in a way. You know? And I, I'd like, oh, God. I, I just had to, like, everything was like uh, an ordeal. And I got busted a lot. And this one time I'm in court and my probation officer is a really nice woman named Kay Scott. Kay was, um, she was just a good person. So we're in court, okay? I know where her, you know, and I go, hey, you know, I'm going to use a bathroom. Can I use a bathroom? They go, yeah, okay. I'm a 14-year-old kid, you know? I'm not worried. I'm not, gonna, I'm not in custody or anything. I'm not going to ditch. So I go to the bathroom. I was going to the bathroom. I pass by her office door, and I go, God, you know, her purse is under her desk, man. I can, I can rip off her purse right now. They would never expect me to do something like that at this time. So I did, you know, I did shit like that, man. I did shit like that all the time. Because I wanted to, the thrill was getting away with it, but the thrill was also 
sitting right next to the person you've done it to, with, and they, and she had no idea. You know, she had no idea. I used to, I used to these therapist people, they'd send me to. Did the same thing because I thought the therapists were full of shit. I thought that I thought that therapy, the dream thing, getting back, it's kind of a big circle. But you know, getting back, Celia was a person at that age who helped me because she believed in whatever talents or whatever it is that I thought I had. You know, she she nurtured it more than my own mother did. Who, uh, looking back now, uh, you know, she lost. She had six boys in ten years, and two of them died before. You know, uh, within a span of 13 years, you know, a four-year-old drowned and a 23-year-old killed himself. You know, and uh, there we are, and I'm the youngest. You know, and I'm like, you know, I, I got that mentality, young and look at me thing, whatever youngest mentality thing. You know, uh, psychologically, you know, all, all, I've already got that. Now Pete's gone, and I'm just like, no, I mean, really, look at me. You know, <laughs> like. like I stole a cop car, man. I, I, you know, I stole. It's God. I just did so much shit. And people used to say, "Why are you doing the blah blah blah?" You know, booze and drugs were like my friend or my coping mechanism that helped me uh, make it through or make it. Not even so much as like you know, if I only had a hit of weed, everything'd be great. It was just more like I liked being fucked up because when I was fucked up, all this shit that I hadn't dealt with didn't really exist. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I had huge dreams. When I was a kid, I used to like the uh, original Dick Van Dyke show, the Mary Tyler Moore show, whatever it was. Remember? You wanted to be like a little footstool that people took I wanted on. to be a comedy. I'm like, wait a minute, you, can, you get paid to write comedy? Like, I thought, wow, that's a, what a great job. I thought, that's the greatest fucking job, man. So I thought I wanted to be, uh, uh, I wanted to be a comedy writer. I also wanted to be a paleontologist because it's one of those really long words. And when you're like seven and you say paleontologist, it's like, you know, it's like when the seven-year-old went, I can run really fast. Watch. And he was tripping. What's wrong with you? Letting that boy run down the hill. And I'm like, fuck you, lady. You know, well, that's what you want in my family. Anyway, that's why I, you know, <laughs> Tend to blink a lot sometimes on this side. It's not that noticeable, right? Nah. I mean, I mean, this barely even registered, right? All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, okay, so this is like so. All right, so now I'm a kid, man. I'm going to school in Sacramento, going to like third grade, directing planes. I'm in the back because that's where you sat, and like, and I'm a. Uh, Jeremiah was a bullfrog was a big hit song you know and I remember singing it on the bus he was a good friend of mine I never understood what he said but damn he's it's mighty fine wine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like in the back singing it man getting everyone to sing along you know my little buddies and shit and then we moved to Marin you know and there's always kind of like some kind of like thing my dreams thanks Tag that's Tag he's an artist it's a slight adjustment he felt it had to be made yeah, he, he Hello. Is that where the world lives? Hello. Rescue me. Right. I mean, hello. Did I say Okay. So. Um, yeah, and then I was dropped on my head. Marin. Moved to Marin. Yeah, we moved to Marin when I was um, going to fourth grade when I was 10, 9. And uh, they wanted to jump me ahead of grade. Like, they wanted to put me from the third into the fifth. And my brother Dan was in the fifth. And I, there was no, he's my big brother, man. There was no way I was going to be the same grade as Dan. And I loved Dan, and we were in this, we, we shared a room. 
they're two years apart, we're the two youngest, because Sam died when he was four. So my brothers, it was John in 52, Pete in 54, Matt in 55. That's one set of Irish triplets, right? Because between 52 to 55, they had three kids. And then there was a second set of Irish triplets, which was Sam in 59, Dan in 60, and me in 62. But Sam died. So now it's like me and Dan, the little guys, and there's no, like, bridge, because Matt's the next oldest, and he's, you know, five years older than Dan and seven years older than me. So when I'm, like, you know, seven, that's 14, 15 years old. I mean, it's just... There's this huge break, you know, and it just, it just really screwed everyone up. And, uh, and then Peter killed himself, and I was like, oh, thanks, Pete. Wow, man, we needed that one. You know, I mean, looking back, I, you know, it's, it's, you know, you never get over that stuff. You just never get over it. What I realized it did, though, is it interfered with my ability to have faith and my ability to pursue my dreams because I was so certain I would fail or I was, I, I was so certain something, I was always looking at the worst possible outcome in any situation and by going into situations that way I made them manifest I made them occur so then I could like I'm pleasing this negative cycle they see I did it again I'm a fuck up oh well you know we have a we have a close mutual friend who uh, is going through a very uh, unfortunately you know uh, garden variety you know uh, you know Issue things are coming home to roost about about booze and about whatever you know instead of like dealing with it straight, which is what you know I was in and out of rehabs for fucking ten years, man. I mean, I you know smoking crack, you know, like it's like well, I'm just a social crack smoker, really. <laughs> what's the what's the you know? It was just insane. I mean, when you finally get to that point where you're able to kind of flip it and look at it to see yourself as others see you, to hear yourself. As others hear you without without the built-in, totally subjective, I'm, I'm going to stay on the island no matter what, survivor mentality. You know what I mean? That's that's a basic intrinsic human thing. You don't want to be the one that goes, I'm going to go out there and see what, see what it's like. The idea of not getting fucked up for me on a daily basis was just something I, I, I just, you know, it wasn't like in life when I commit suicide or something because after Pete did his, I know, found out what it did to everyone left behind. Um, you know, it's not fair. It's a really selfish thing. But I got high every fucking day because after a while it becomes your identity. You identify so uh, deeply with this negative type of, I'm screw up, I'm never going to be good enough, you know, whatever the fuck it is. You know, it's just, it's a monster that feeds on itself. And it's, that's, the self is the issue. Sobriety is about stopping drinking and drugging. That's the basic thing that it's about. But what it really is, is something that makes you realize that I've been living my life afraid of what others are going to say or do. And when I think back over my life, like in high school, there were like girls, guys, whatever. There's situations where I didn't do something because if I blew it, I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't laugh at me or think I was a chump, right? So I just didn't do it. It's like, you know, you grow up, it's like, I'm not in high school anymore, man. At what point in my life am I going to say, you know, everyone's fucking afraid, you know? There's nothing wrong with that. It's normal. You push forward through it and see what happens. You embrace that, that unknown fear. And you see it for what it is. And what it is is yourself that's been running the show and fucking tearing you apart and breaking you down 
trying to stay in control. Because the more you go, oh, Lord, oh, fuck that. The more it's in control and saying, okay, I'm running the show here. <laughs> you know? And it's this vicious cycle. You get so, it, it's so normal. It's so normal to be high and drunk or whatever that that was my absolute identity. And dreams and things had a way of interfering with that identity. You know, I wanted to travel Europe. I wanted to go to Mardi Gras. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. I didn't do any of it because the reality was I had to work to make some money so I could afford to get high and drive that pay this guy back and get, you know, you know, that endless cycle, you know? And so the thing that I did to make me free and open-minded and accepting and loving and thoughtful and creative and all these wonderful things did the exact opposite in the long run because it got me really small and it got me a really small little world with a small little circle of friends and, you know, the phone wasn't ringing a lot, you know? And I mean, I wasn't I wasn't anyone that I wanted to hang out. I, I, it was just... But you're so deep that you just you feel sorry for yourself. And when people tell you they don't like you when you're drunk, or they tell me I love you, bro, but you're drinking, man, you're kind of a dick, you know, like whatever, you know, shit like that. It's just like fuck you, dude. You're not fucking cakewalk when you're fucked up. I gotta deal with your bullshit. Fuck you. You know what I mean? You find someone who's worse. You find people that are worse, and that way you can still have this illusion of like I'm all right. I know what I'm doing. You know. And what you're doing is just, all you're doing is feeding the beast. So the dreams I had and wanted to pursue, and was even helped with. Uh, getting back, you know, Celia's ex-husband, Saul's aunt, was a very powerful man in Hollywood. He did some, uh, some of the f- greatest films ever made, you know? And uh, I was in his office. I you know, went, went out with Athena and her brother. I mean, I knew all of them really well, and, uh, you know. I'm in his office because Celia thought, you know, Saul's never discovered anyone. I think he should. I think he should discover you. So she talks with him, and I go over to Berkeley, and I see Saul in his office. And, you know, Saul, I always wisecracks with Saul because he was a real crafty, uh, funny, uh, you know, Jewish guy from Passaic, New Jersey. You know, he's real old school, and uh, he was funny, man. He was a funny guy. Uh, I don't know. That's a father. <laughs> you know, apparently, he left something to be desired, uh, which is a seems to be a running theme for pretty much everyone at some point or another, right? You know, it's like you almost feel obligated. It's in the contract. You know, I got my dad's a dick, and I, I got a dick, you know. He's actually a really nice guy, but I signed the contract. It says I'm an American, and oh, well, my therapist, you know, they promised to me that, you know, that's what I had to do. You know, whatever, right? So I'm there with Saul. I've got his fucking Oscar, dude. I mean, like, I've got the Oscar for one flew to the cuckoo's nest. And it's heavy, you know, they're heavy. And I'm old with thing. It's like, you know, best picture, 1976. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I was always around that stuff with Saul and with them. So I wouldn't really trip. Saul calls some some people down in LA, get some headshots done for me by a staff photographer. And all I had to do was go to LA and meet these people. And the rest would have been up to me at that point in my life. I wasn't the most reliable guy, you know, <laughs> to say the least. And uh, it was like the day before I was going to go to L.A. Or no, Athena and I, I was going to be going with Athena down there because she was moving there too or something was going on. And we were going to drive down. And like the night, two nights before, we got this huge fight because these punk rock guys, she knew, were coming down from Seattle. And there's these three guys and the 
driver had this like green, black punk rock teeth, and you know, I was still like crazy about her at the time, and she's like fucking making out with the fucking guy, and I'm just like, I just like saw red, but I didn't punch him, of course, I had a big drink, we were drinking Colt 45 on ice, topped off with Seagram 7, and 7 up, called it Death House Punch, we were drinking them all fucking day, sitting up by the pool, and now it's dark, it's 9, 10 o'clock, right? Yeah, I was wearing this like zip suit thing, jumpsuit thing, and I was like, oops! You know, basically just like throw the whole thing down her front. He's like, fuck you, motherfucker. So I was like, hit me, and then this other guy grabs me from behind, he's hitting me. I kind of like break free, and I just kind of like see her right there. And then the next thing I know, my hand is coming back, and she's flying backwards with this look on her face, like, you know? I'm like, oh my God, I hit I mean, my father never hit my mother. That is, like, totally verboten, right? It's like kicking a guy when he's down, man. You, you, you just don't do it. It's it's part of my innate code, you know, and it was so shocking. I was so humiliated and, and angry. I'd been pursuing her for so many years, and for her to be yelling that she hated me, something just snapped, you know? And I, you know I have no excuse, but I was, I was really fucked up, and we were really young. And these guys, they grabbed me and beat that fucking shit out of me, man. Especially this one dude in the group. He was a big... Like six four blonde guy, and he's got me under the one of these kind of like you know Marine Corps fucking death lock things. He's lifting me off the ground as they walk me out of the house, and these other two guys are punching me in the head. And I'm like, I can feel my toes just barely scraping, you know, along the floor, and I can't breathe. He has cut off my windpipe completely, and they're saying shit like, you know, say you're sorry, man. I'm like, you know, and I'm like thinking to myself, I'm gonna fucking die here, man. These guys don't know. They're fucking choking me, man. Finally, the guy let go. Shoves me in. Get the fuck out. And I'm like, man, that was my... She was my... Oh, God. You know, the whole thing was just such a catastrophe. It's like, you know, walking down Magnolia Avenue at three in the morning, whatever time it was, crying and shit. And get about down to, like, the old Greenbrae, the Petrini's on Greenbrae near Bonaire. And I'm like, fuck that, man. <laughs> I go back. And I took a shit on the guy's hood. <laughs> and I was like, oh, sure, I'm going to kill myself. And so I got this garden hose, and I was like underneath there, like carport, and I tied it, thing, tried to put it around my neck, like, and I lean forward, <laughs> and I just hose, like stretch out, and I wind up on the ground. <laughs> uh, so I decided not to, not to do that. But so, like, I was, the next day I was going to be going to L.A. to meet with all these people, and what I wound up doing instead, Celia gave me... Uh, airfare to get to New York and I moved to New York and I want to be as far away from California Athena all of it as far in a place as diametrically opposed as possible and that was Hell's Kitchen in 1984 85 when it was still the West East and still a lot of drugs a lot of transvestitutes Times Square was all porn um, and so I did I lived up there for about three four years and Athena and I recon- reconciled and we're actually still friends. And now her mother is uh, dying, Celia. And it's a, uh, you know, I mean, both my folks have died in the last six, seven years. I kind of had an, ins- uh, well, not about an insight, but I had an experience with death in, in a family uh, a lot at a lot younger age than most people from Marin, probably, or anywhere, I guess, uh, do. But, you know, that... Uh, that negative thing that kept me from pursuing any dreams I had or 
people would point out talents or, you know, my personality, I don't know what it is, you know. And they'd be like, dude, you ought to fucking do, you know. And I'd be like, you know, that was enough. That was enough. Just that people realized what I could do if I ever got my shit together. You know, that's, you don't set your sights too high, do you? So, uh, you know, that, that I just realized it was all, it's, it's all, every choice that leads me to a negative space, uh, there's, there's, there's two ways to go. You can accept things, admit, face it, or you can deny it, say no fucking way and fight it, you know? So when do you think the... And the payoff isn't, isn't what it... You know, because there are people who have pursued things yeah. beyond what an average human would say is wise. Let's say, you know, I you know, don't like know... obsession for like a cause or a... Like, that's a possibility. Or a dream or something. Right, music right. Or, or creating something. Or, yeah. Right, right, you know. Yeah. So I when know does one know that yeah. the pursuit is worthy or... You're asking the wrong guy, man. All I know is I had a dream once with Mick Jagger, okay? <laughs> I swear to God. And we were fucking backstage, man. And the show's going. We can hear it. And we're, like, walking through the service tunnels and stuff, like, backstage. Turns out, you know, I can take a leak. You know, I'm like, he goes, what do you do, man? I'm like, you know, I can take a fucking leak. You know where a bathroom is? He goes, like... Yeah, but I've got to take one too. You know, I'm like, oh, cool. Let's go find a fucking bathroom. So it's me and Mick Jagger looking for a bathroom, right? And we finally find a bathroom. We're like, finally, God. Go inside. And they were all pay toilets. And neither of us had any change on us. <laughs> so, like 25 cents to turn the thing. None of us had any money on us. And so he was sliding under the door in his stall, like, you know, next to mine. And I'm sliding into the stall door of mine, side by side. We're just like cracking up. Because it's so, like, you know, crazy, you know? Like a dream. That's <laughs> a dream, baby. But, uh, I, you know, that's, I mean, that's, that's impossible to know, man. I mean, each person is different. Each situation is different. The, I think the chances of fulfilling a dream, especially if they uh, have an element to them of a, a certain type of vitality, of a physical ability to m- make this you know, what, uh, to attain the height you dream of attaining, and then being able to stay there because you know that's that's the real. I mean, that, and that ties back in with my sober shit, which is just like you know, getting sober is one thing. Staying—that's the fucking hard part. Yeah, that's the hard part. Yeah, and it's the same thing if you're like an actor or a singer or a writer or whatever it is. You know, there's always going to be another Rubicon to cross. There's always going to be another level. That's going to validate not only to you know, the world or the people you want to show or run, you know, whatever it is that drives, you know, that, that motivating force. Um, you know, there's always going to be something that we have to work towards. The real problem with that type of a, of a construction is that you're never satisfied. You know, you're always, it's got to be something bigger, better, right, more, more, more. Right, right. And that's where our culture operates. And yeah, that's, like, that's I've got this that. car, I've got this house, i got this woman, i got that dog, i got these pants, i got that watch, i got all this shit. And be like, and? i got to get more of it. Then they'll know, you know? Because it's, you know, getting, you know, the dream is the dream. We dream, I, I wanted to be a beetle. When I was about seven, I realized it wasn't going to happen. Um, I heard a guy one time talk about like dreams and talk about life, and he said, you know, my life basically, I was driving through life with a uh, 
El Camino, you know, full of fucking horse shit in the back and the little windows behind my head open. And I would just floor it, man. And every now and then something would happen and I'd, you know, screech on the brakes. And all that shit would come flying into the cab and I'd be like, oh, fuck, I'm surrounded with this crap. Step on the gas, you know? It all flies away. All right, I'm good, man. Something else happens, you know? And that's how you live your life, you know? And, and he said, you know, it's so funny. I got all my, you know, I got sober, man. I got all my shit together, man. I put it all in this big, cool pile. And I put a flag with my face on it. And I said, look, man, it's all my shit. I got it together, man. I got my shit together. It's right here. And people were like, dude, you're standing on a mountain of shit. <laughs> because getting it together is, 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 is the easy part, really. You know, it's getting rid of it. Resentment and uh, justification for anger are, are incredibly damaging elements, especially when you're angry or resentful at someone who you think, for whatever reason, you're superior to. Because if you're superior to this person, then why the fuck do they bother you so much? You know, it just kind of refutes the whole, like, you know, I'm better than you type thing or, or whatever it is that sets it in motion, you know? Uh, losing a loved one to another person or whatever, you know what I mean? It's like, this is something culturally that we as more or less Western Europeans, you know, uh, it's it's in our DNA, you know? We're going to get back at you, you know? I mean, I did that DNA thing with the fucking genealogy. I'm 82% Irish, you know? Oh, really? What a shock that was. Did you, you did that to me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, spit in a cup. So I'm like 82% Irish, I'm 15% English. That was kind of neat. You know, and so then, and then the other three were one um, percent Iberian, which is Spain, one percent Caucasus Mountains, you know, and one percent, yeah, I don't know, man, Zulu world or something. <laughs> I forget what the other one was, but I remember it was the Caucasus and the in Iberia, you know, and I thought, wow, oh, you're talking to a real white man, right? Here. <laughs> Woo dogs. Woo dogs. I got the DNA. Um, but you know, the truth, you know, it, it's it's the underlying theme. If a person really takes the time to look at their life, whether it's looking over wreckage or looking over why things happened a certain way they did, why you took an avenue that you did, you know, uh, a path less traveled, or you know, however you want to put it, you know, when you get to uh, you know that point where you're looking at this stuff. It's very difficult to be to not be subjective. It's that survivor instinct, man. You know, you don't want to make yourself look bad or feel bad, so you'll 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 lessen your impact. You know, it wasn't me so much; it was them. You know, it was them. And underneath all of it is this fear that I'm going to be. My fear, my innate fear, was that I would be exposed as a person who didn't know things quite often. Who, who was really concerned and caught up with, with, with what perfect strangers thought of me. It was very important that people saw me a certain way. Um, you know, and even though all evidence to the contrary, like when I was, when I got out of my way and was just myself and just having fun or whatever, you know, it was like, oh, that's what I want to be like all the time, you know? And I couldn't because of the inconsistency of getting fucked up. You know, the high was different every time. You know, but the high fed itself and the high fed the fear. So when it comes to dreams, for me personally, pursuing a dream right next to it 
right right next to it is fear. You know, fear. Just straight, stone-cold fear. I'm going to be exposed as a charlatan. They're all going to realize I'm full of shit. No, no, what am I going to do? i got to stand up there in front of all these people and do this thing, you know. It's like you're forgetting the fact that when you're in an audience and some person comes out on that stage, chances are you're not thinking, look at this fucking asshole, that dumb shit. You know, you're thinking, that guy's got a big set of fucking balls to get out on that stage, man, in front of all these people, you know. You're, you're rooting for that guy. That guy's the underdog. That guy's you, man. And if you can absorb that, you know, and when you, for me as a performer or whatever, it makes things a lot easier. It makes it a lot more fun. Not, not, not just, you know, for the, but for me too, you know, because it's just kind of, I'm just winging it, man. Kind of like him right now. <laughs> Did you see the thing with them? Um, Jay Adams in um, uh, Lords of Dogtown or whatever it was. Not, not, not the film. The, um, oh, it was a fucking movie, man. He did writing giant Stacey Peralta. Anyways, the skate flick was about the Zephyr team. The Zephyr team were like gods, man. And I had a buddy who had a green Zephyr with gold road rider cues, man. Track and track. And then Tony, Tony Alba and Jay came up a couple of times. We were in this punk club called The Tool and Die. And Tony, like, picked up on uh, Athena, I think it was. And I was like, you know, well, it is Tony Alba. <laughs> you know, I like, can compete with that, brother, you know. And Tony was a pretty notorious ass kicker anyway. I mean, Tony was not a guy you fucked around with. He didn't suffer fools gladly. But uh, Jay, they were talking to Jay in the film, and now these guys are all older, you know. Now we're, some are married, some are, you know, whatever. To look at them, it's like looking at a guy in the grocery store who's bald and has like a silver thing, glasses. You, you know, that guy was... Natural Jason at Woodstock. He took more acid than anybody. You know what I mean? But everyone ages. And we look at things on the surface level and say, the old guy doesn't know. I was at a freaking Starbucks, man. The girls are saying, I'm sorry, well, caramel, not fat. You know, whatever the fuck. And I said, and I, said uh, I don't know, I'm not tripping. She was like, oh my God, did you say I'm not tripping? Sir? No. Did she say sir? No. But she might as well. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, little twinkle toe, whatever your name is, you little hippie trip here. And uh, I invented tripping, okay? Me and my people went to your army in the desert with an armadillo, a bowling ball, and, ball and three gallons of seven up. Like you were just talking earlier about yeah. judging and worried about what people think about you. This is for everyone else, not for me. And don't you think, like, possibly you jumped to a conclusion there where she, you know, said tripping and you took it as an affront, but maybe she was just like, well, that's cool. No, she was, I mean, you know, you could tell. And I wasn't that upset. I wasn't, like, you know, pissed or anything. I was just kind of, like, amused, like, God... I am older than I, th- you know, it was one of those things like, you forget how you look, you know, you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, I'm a gray-haired guy, I've got lines on my face and I've got scars and my nose has been busted, oh yeah, because in our minds, you know, I mean, I, it's it's kind of a um, setup, you know, life is a setup, they set us up to fail in things that we're told we should succeed in, and when we don't succeed in those things, then it just proves to us that they were right. Who's the day, though? I'm talking about, like, like when I was a kid, all I knew was my dad and all my dad's... Everyone's dad. They had a briefcase, they had a suit, they went into the fucking office. God knows what they did, but that's what they did. And they came back. You know, they had their martinis, and they yelled at the TV and fell asleep on the sofa, and, you know, pinch at Margaret's ass at the fucking picnic, or, you know, whatever the fuck, right? 
I don't have any more work, by the way. <laughs> but so, you know, it's like, this, I mean, because for me, I mean, it was just, I had no idea how you got there. I had no idea how you wound up in the suit with the briefcase. It was like something that was going to happen as a rite of passage or a another ring in the circle of life or, you know, whatever the fuck. You know, that one day I was going to wake up, I was going to be a grown man, I'd have to shave, and I'd wear a suit, and I'd go into an office. You know, as we got older, being the very tail end of the baby boomers, you know, 1980, we graduated high school, and shit was changing, man. The punk thing had happened, we'd had the recession, there was a lot of doubt and shit, and then Reagan comes riding in on a white fucking donkey with a flag, and, you know, this utterly absurd, that's when the that's when the turn to blind eye to reality Republican thing kind of started kicking in. Because it was all about, you know, you're negative, you want to hug a tree, go ahead, I'm going to hug a Playboy model in my Lamborghini. You know, great. Hopefully, you'll be staring at her tits and you won't see that tree that you'll land into and die. But I'm judging there and I probably shouldn't have judged that. But so it's like, you know, so, so the setup in a way culturally is that you as a white male, you will attain these things. These things are talismans of success, talismans of society's approval, talismans that prove to yourself as well as everybody around, stranger or not, that you are a person of means, that you're a person of a certain standing, you know? And uh, based on that, you know, it's like the guy with the Lamborghini or whatever, it's, these are all the things, we, you know, we're they just force feed that shit. You just, you got kids, man. You go through the supermarket, all the sugary, shitty fucking cereal is at this level. Because little five-year-olds and six-year-olds are at that level. They want to load them up with all the sugar and crap, you know? And now they're reaping the benefit, aren't they? Because we're two-thirds of obese or whatever, you know? Uh, we'll get into that. But, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, the setup is that, like, you know, you will look a certain way, you will be a certain way, you will have a certain thing, and you will be goddamn motherfucking happy, because you're a fucking American motherfucker, you know? <laughs> so help me God, you're going to be happy. I'm going to fucking kill you with my right to bear arms. You know, they conveniently fucking overlooked the fact that, you know, the Second Amendment was put in in 17 fucking 89, when there was nothing west of the Allegheny River, man. If you didn't have a fucking gun, you were fucked. There was people that lived there that had been living there for thousands of years. Didn't really like you showing up. There was animals that you had to kill because there was no 7-Eleven. You know, it's like on and on and on. And the state militia because of the way that what had happened in the... Firstly, you know, the, the seven years were the French and Indian War. And then and then later on, French French Indian War is like the last of the Mohicans. That's like, you know, that kind of set the tone. But Washington was in that war as an English officer because he was loyal to England. We were Americans. We were, we were English. And they learned a lot, and they got treated secondhand, like Gallipoli, I suppose, in an earlier time. You know, the Aussies got treated by the English. And uh, when we decided that we weren't going to, you know, put up with this kind of uh, heavy-handed abuse, uh, and they did the most treasonous, they would have been hung and quartered, man, you know, at, at, at the Tower of London. Ben Franklin, all of them, you know, Hancock, Jefferson, you know, all of them, Washington especially. Um, you know, but, but they all kind of like set this thing that I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to get where I need to be, and I'm going to be happy, right? And I'm going to have my fucking gun. God, nor George fucking Jefferson, Washington, Franklin, the fucking Hancock Fifth, 
didn't want you to have a fucking automatic fucking 400 round death dealing fucking submachine gun thing AK whatever the fuck yeah, but here's the thing. To hunt? Here's Why the do thing, you need that gun? Those are just tools. If we don't take care of the... You're a tool. If we don't take care of the psychology or the character of a human being that chooses to take that tool and do with it what they will... Well, yeah. Like, look what just happened in France. There was right, no right, gun right. involved. Like, you know... No, no, no. I, I, I know. What I'm talking about is just how... As, you know, it's, it kind of ties in. It's just part of that kind of uh, backbone attitude of what a real American is. And what a real American is, is somebody that stands up for something he believes in against the popular tide of opinion. Because that takes real courage, you know. And to, pardon the pun, stick to your guns, you know, as it were. I mean... But yeah. that kind of goes back to that earlier thing, like where's the fine line? When right. is sticking to your guns right. local? What are you? What have you delved into? Obsession? Oh God! There's a what? There's a. Um, it was a film I saw with Dennis Quaid, who's not my favorite actor, but you know whatever. He's 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 utilitarian. He does great when he does. Great. And he's and he's you know he's perfectly fine. Um, he was great in that movie about the pitcher. Yeah, he was. He was. You gotta be loved that film. Um, he was in a film. Was called I think it was called Tough Enough. It was about the tough man boxing competitions. These things in bars are called tough man. You'd sign up. Right. Bare knuckle fight. It might be anyone in there against you, you know? Right. A couple of guys got in Greg Hogg and became a pro fighter, and he did pretty well. Beat Vinny Pazienza once or twice. But uh, Quaid plays this guy who's like a country singer, and he's got a wife, and struggling to get by, and he signs up for this thing, and kind of a joke, he wins. You know, he wins. Finally, he gets to the final championship match, and this guy against him is like a fucking monster, man, and he knows how to box, and he's just twice his size. And Quaid, he's like going into the thing, and in his mind, he can hear this this song, you know? He can hear this song in his head, and he can't quite get it, you know? There's like this one, the hook, like, gator down. It's like, what did it wear? And he gets hit. And so, like, they think that he's, you know, his wife is like crying and screaming, and as the rounds go by, and he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm fine. He's just getting his ass kicked. And they think he's like brain damaged. He's just like sitting there just looking at his face, you know, he gets a cloud. Like trying to get this song, you know? And when he finally gets the song, he's like, you know, it's 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 a wonderful construct, you know, the film and all that it's just wonderful. When he finally gets to that point where he understands, he knows what the what the song is, he goes, I got it! Wham! The guy just like levels his ass. And the wife thinks he's dead, and the trainer, they're like, oh my god. And he gets up off the canvas and he just kicks the fucking shit out of this guy. Because he's just free, you know? And it was like, you talk about the obsession. So he's like, you know, the, that movie dealt directly in a really direct and visceral way. Obsession. He's obsessed with this soul again. I gotta get it. The only way I can get it is to keep getting punched in the, You know, there's like, I've been in fights where it's like, and I've heard fighters talk about fights where it's like, you get hit the first time and you're fighting. I mean, I've actually seen, like, four cartoon stars, like General Patton, <laughs> right in front of my eyes, man. I swear to God. It was like, whoa, you know. And then you get hit again, and it kind of, like, snaps you back to reality, you know? And then after the fight, regardless of who won, I don't know, it's like, now these kids shoot each other for wearing the wrong shoes, you know? Suckers. And, uh, uh, you know, it's Phil Knight's laughing all the way to the fucking mausoleum. <laughs> That's shaped 
like a Nike tennis shoe. Good figure. Classic guy. <laughs> uh, it's underneath Hayward Field. He built a big tomb down there. But uh, so these guys, they, um, um, the kids would do that thing. I mean, in the old days, it was like you'd fight and you kind of were buddies afterwards. You respected that guy. He respected you. Every fight I was ever in, it was that sounds I, like a generalization. Though. Every fight I was ever in, and I was in a few, was because I was a I was a fucking loudmouthed wise ass who was like skinny and they gotta teach me a lesson, man. I didn't win every fight I was in, but I always got some licks in. And, and every time I was in a fight afterwards, I respected the guy more, or I even admired him. It was the same. It was, it was like it's like gladiator war thing I don't know it's like a weird element that you can't get any other way you know that being said I haven't fought in many many decades and hopefully I never will again because it really hurts it's not like it's not like a film man these are bones and these are bones they really hurt when they connect with each other it's like it fucking hurts man I'm gonna have my nose fixed now so are you uh, pursuing a dream Joe McGarvey currently in your life right now what? Are you pursuing it? Just my little activity? thing that you can't notice, right? It's kind of, it's pretty subtle. <laughs> when I landed on my face all those hours ago, whenever I started talking. Yeah, well, we bought a store, actually, because, you know, it was kind of getting to this thing where it was like, you know, 53, man, you know? And, you know, what do you do when you grow up? You know, it was like, I dropped out of high school. Went to college 30 years later, as on the as any means. In high school, my GPA was, uh, you know, back then in those days, I don't know what it was like, you guys went to Fremont or something, right? Hayward. Hayward. There was like thousands and thousands of kids in school. There was like close to 4,000 kids in Redwood. Right? There were so many kids that if you failed, you didn't get held back. They didn't have room. You had to go forward. <laughs> it's like, you may not have passed, but fuck you. You can't stick around here, man. Get the fuck out, you know? We got other kids coming in. And uh, with, between my brother's death and being very short for my size and very insecure about my, all that shit and all that confusion and anger and pain, um, I wound up cumulatively. I was in juvenile hall for uh, stealing a car. And I was in there for about like five, six months. And I took the, I got emancipated. I was 17. Got emancipated and took the GED. Because my grade point average at that time in four years of high school, and we went by the 25, two semesters a year, 25, five classes, five units each, five credits, 25, 25, 50. So 50 freshmen, 50 as a sophomore, 200 to graduate. Going into my senior year, I had 15 credits, and my grade point average was 0.8. I wasn't going to make it, you know? And part of it was that thing of like... uh, why are you doing this? Fuck yeah, that's why I'm doing it. You know, I was always testing with all these. You know, teachers are always trying to do shit to like show off and say, look what he can do, you know, when you're like the third grade or something. And I just like to read, man. I just always like to read, you know, and I, and I, and I, and I liked, I liked being smart. I, I, I was, um, I loved my brother so much, my brother Dan, that I, uh, I kind of, I kind of dumbed it down a little bit, you know, just because I didn't want to outshine him. It's gonna love hearing that, <laughs> you know. But Dan was gifted in so many ways that I wasn't, man. I mean, like, like his idea of a good time, you know, he, he can like take a hub and a box of spokes and a rim, and without like a clamp and this tool and that tool, just kind of put it together. So it's perfectly true, 
you know, chess. He's very good at chess. I mean, he's he's got this kind of a straightforward, no nonsense kind of way of doing things that I don't. <laughs> it's either quicksilver or nothing, man. You know. I mean, but Dan has got these elements in his personality that are really admirable, that I've always admired very much uh, about him. And my gifts were things that just, you know, I don't know, people can't always keep up, you know? So you got to kind of tone it down every now and then, you know? But the dream thing, getting back to the dream thing and the, um, the overriding fear... We were talking about fighting. I was talking about the fighting thing as a way of, oh, right, when you get to that point where, it's, where it turns into something that's unhealthy, uh, perhaps. I think that every obsessive dream or desire is unhealthy. <laughs> but there's unhealthy in a positive way and in a negative way. If, you're, if your unhealthy obsession is to help children in poor nations drink purified water... That's a good obsession. It's kind of sick, and you're like, single, but that's a good one. Maybe your thing is like, I'm going to bring in a fucking black tar heroin to get the whole eastern seaboard hooked. You know, that's that's a negative obsession. As far as people like you and me, like like run of the you know just regular guys, more or less, you know, out of a nation of hundreds of millions of people. Um, yeah, I was obsessed with a girl, you know, and it didn't work out, and it was it was it was. It was very difficult to uh, to let it go, and eventually, what what occurred to me was that I claimed to love her, that she was the one that I had to be with her, that she was my soulmate. I got to be, you know, I'm in love. But she didn't feel that way in return, apparently, because she went out with all kinds of fucking guys, you know, and uh, it just killed me. And I realized it's like if you know what is love, right? It's the, it's the ancient. Love is whatever love is to the individual, you know, whatever that means to the individual. That's what love is. You can't necessarily explain it, but you know it when you're in it, and you know it when you feel it, you know? You know it. It's an innate human trait. You know, it's one of the special elements that make us, you know, the opposable thumb and the hypothalamus and all that shit separates us from the monkeys, you know? <laughs> the gibbon and the orangutan. But so I thought to myself, I love her. And to me, love means wanting the person, the object of my love, to be happy. You know? Mm-hmm. And if her being happy meant me getting the fuck out of the picture, well, then I had to respect that. Well, I didn't love her at all. I loved the whole chase and the drama and all the crazy shit. You know, because it fed in that that shit cycle of like, you know, I keep eating a shit sandwich and just keeps tasting like shit. What the fuck's going on right here? You know? It's like, oh, you are eating a shit sandwich, bro. You know? Baron von Einstein. So, you know, that was like, it was kind of like a, not quite an aha moment, you know? But it was definitely, I mean, I remember it very vividly. I remember it. I remember thinking, oh, right. Me uh, insisting and trying to make things happen and pursuing and, you know, like, just... That ain't getting it done, man. You know, and if you really love her, and if you and if you think love me really means her being happy, well then, I fucking hit the bricks, man. You know, and uh, and that was a tough one. You know, as far as like performing dreams and things like that. I mean, I've I was always a performer, I think. You know, and I just never performed. 
you know, I got in the band in Mill Valley, circumstances, I would never pursue it personally because I was too afraid of failing. I didn't want to put up the effort. Just okay. Now, I can extrapolate to the worst possible thing. A thousand people in a room, 999 laughing, one guy isn't, and he's the only one I notice. You know? That kind of shit, that can in. And, uh, you know, I just, I, just, I, I just wouldn't take the risk. The few times I did go on stage, like comedy and stuff, I, I bombed so badly because I was so uh, unprepared, you know, for how ruthless and cutthroat and, and fucking tooth and nail it is to climb that ladder, man, you know. And, you know, everyone says it when they make it, you know, but everyone who hasn't made it or dreams of it thinks, well, that can happen to me. You know, I'm going to do this heroin I can overdose. That happens to someone else. You know, same thing with, you know, well, sure, there's mil- literally millions of people every day decide to go to Hollywood and be a star, you know. So there's so many fucking porn movies down there. There's always morons showing up. It's like, you don't have any talent, but you look good with a dick in your mouth. Now, can you kind of like just stay like that? Just for, you know, <laughs> it's like, fine. Yeah, I this guy that I'm like I'm like driving on the scooter, you know, and I'm in the city, and I'm like, guy, go between, you know, screw these fuckers, you know, go go between the cars and stuff, you know, it's legal. Well, well, it's kind of legal. <laughs> so I'm like doing my thing. Some guy on a motorcycle is like full leathers face, like you know, Buster Posey's got all this fucking protective gear and shit, and he's like on a and he's on a motorcycle, you know. I'm wearing a helmet. I got my sunglasses on. He probably thinks I'm some 22-year-old trust fund twit going to $60,000 a semester at fucking Academy of Art to get a degree that means I'll be able to flip burgers better at McDonald's. You know, I'll make an artistic palette out of the burgers themselves. Yeah, that's what fucking happens. But um, you know, I'm doing my thing, and I get through, and he goes like, and, and the guy like, you know, I, I never, I don't look at people when I'm, you know, I'm looking in the rear view to see if it's a check or you know, whatever. I just, I just don't look. I take my mirror, you know, you can do the nighttime thing, and you kind of, I just do that. Fuck them, man. I'm not out there, you know, follow the law, do the thing. I'm not out there to get, in, get into it with anyone. Because I have in the past, it's not fun. <laughs> it's really dangerous, too. But so this guy, he, like, pulls up next to me. We're at the Van Ness and Turk or Ellis or something like that. And, uh, and I realize he's talking to me, you know. Hey, man. And I'm like, yeah? And he goes, the fuck's wrong with you, man? And I go, What? You make us all look bad driving like that, man. I go, I go, bro. When I want to hear from you, I'll take my fucking dick out of your mouth, okay? <laughs> he didn't like that. <laughs> he didn't do anything. The fuck is he gonna do? You know, get off his motorcycle and hit. <laughs> I'm wearing a helmet. Go ahead, man. Take a swing. You know, it's like <laughs> I've wanted to say that to someone for so many years, and I finally did. It was awesome. <laughs> Wouldn't expect that. Scooter boy. I think we're done. It's like I keep going. I don't know if you can tell. I got plenty of material. Is there anything else that you uh, want to talk about? Well, you know, actually, uh, to be serious, you know, I've I've always, you know, I enjoy laughing and I enjoy making people laugh. You know, we've known each other a very long time, and that was pretty much the foundation of, you know, liking each other and being friends, becoming brothers, you know, there for each other when you're good times and bad, you know, and uh, it's, you know, we touched on how men, American men, white men, 
uh, have this certain onus that they have to, or that you know, it's, it's an old thing Paradigm. that we're trying to drag into a new world that's now right here in the palm of my hand. And screw you, because I'm more busy. I'm talking to someone in Beijing. Speaking of that, have you uh, installed Pokemon Go? Oh, I just sort of went all that crap with the plug. Yeah. Um, there was like a sign that said, Pokemon Go here. I'd like stuffed in the garbage can. Let's <laughs> make it really tough. Uh, you know, the thing doesn't exist. It's supposed to be here. So you want I don't to understand it. But what I was going to say is that when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, having a friend, having someone that you know and trust, that you can talk to, and that you can spend time with, is is the most valuable thing on the planet. Because real friends don't happen overnight. It's a it's a big risk, you know. It's it's that risk of like you know you're not telling you know, I love you. It's like with a girl that you're into, you know, like you know you you're gonna take this risk. I'm gonna say I love you, and if she doesn't say you return, then I'm like, yeah, but I love your shoes. <laughs> Did I say you? I meant I meant your uh, your sheep. You. It's a you. It's a female sheep. That's, that's what I meant. Is that why you wear Wellingtons so you can put their back legs in there and trap them when you do your? Well, yes, it is actually. <laughs> that's another thing altogether. But I've always uh, I've always um, I've always admired how you rose above uh, that incredible the incredible power of uh, Mike's personality. Uh, you know the attractiveness of Mike's personality when when Mike was young and riding high and everything was still possible, I guess. And I, don't, I you know, I've, I've heard various things about Mike. I hope he's okay because he's a he's a one of the truly most brilliant and um, creative people. He's just amazing, amazing guy. Uh, and he's his own worst enemy too, for sure. Uh, but he's got to figure that out himself. But uh, you know. I'm really glad you're my friend because I got someone I can talk to when I need to talk to him. You know what I mean? And you're real. And I can say shit like, you know, yeah, I'm talking to you, don't take my dick out of your You know, shit like that. And the next breath, I can say, you know, I love you, man, because you're my brother. And I know and trust you. You know, that's something you can't put a price on, man. Fear will keep those types of relationships and those types of things from occurring. You know, as we, as we manifest the negative without realizing we are through our attitude of like, and it's so innocuous, right? Walk in the kitchen, dirty dishes, like, fuck, I want to do the dishes. You know, garbage, yeah, I want to do garbage. Take the dog out, I don't get my dog. You know, and then before you've even gotten out of the house, you're like already just going, ah, the world sucks, man. You know, it's kind of like, like the dishes are going to probably be there tomorrow and probably down the weeks and months of your life. Who knows? You know, sometimes you wash them, sometimes you don't. But bitching about it and getting all caught up and using that as a justification or a springboard for you to be negative and unhappy. That's just crazy, man. That's just that's just ridiculous. Yeah. You know? I but do. you gotta see it for what it is. Yeah. You know? You're going through a situation right now I have, uh, I, I, I do not envy you the situation you're going through. I will say that. I also know that if there's anyone that can come through it and, and have a greater uh, understanding and depth of uh, self and all, it's you, man. You know, because you grow from these things, bro. You know what I mean? You don't, you don't sink. You know? Well, we'll find out. <laughs> Back with old Candyland there. Well, I guess that one sunk him. You know, they say what doesn't kill... Oh, that one got him. <laughs> Tried to kill myself. I said, I put my head in the, in the oven, but then I realized in the morning it was a dishwasher. <laughs>
I'd use an oven. It's heritage. <laughs> For you, it's a not me. It's a It's a beautiful world. It's a beautiful world. It's a beautiful world.